1: Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. what one of my resolutions is? What is your resolution? To stop saying the intro so quickly.
2: Oh, I, well, it's better than what I do since I've never done it and I'm just grateful that you do. <laughs> one so, day, one day I'm going to make hey, you. I am all it. good. I'm, I'm I am a little fearful of the day that you're gone with Savor, mm-hmm. and I have to do something cuz we're behind or something and right. I'm going to have to do
1: an introduction like this
2: and I'm going to be yes. like, oh, "I miss Annie <laughs> so much
1: right now." But you can learn from my mistakes. That is one of my many resolutions. That's not my only resolution. Well,
2: the I will say one of the problems is because you do it. I don't even pay attention, sure, but it sounds like, I think we tried this one time with uh, an outro. I tried to do an outro, and it was such a cluster, and I was like, I'm done. You do it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I still have to write it down, even though I've said it so many times. Uh, But we're we're not not talking about resolutions today. We're talking about female revenge. Love it. History, science, examples, and it Ballooned into such a big episode. It's now a two-parter.
2: Well, and I think part of that was you and I kept going on and on and on adding yes. to the movie list or just the genre of it because I'm like, I like this one and I like this one. Mm-hmm. Oh, and this one and this one. And this could be considered and this is considered. Because right. like we actually went beyond. We could talk about TV shows. And yes. we do a couple, but not all of them, obviously. Yeah. Um, but then even trips with like books as mm-hmm. well as um, comics or graphic novels. We don't exactly get
1: into all of that level right so it could be like a oh. five-day series it could be an entire podcast just yes. revenge you're right <gasps> i didn't even think about comic books <laughs> what is wrong yeah. with me
2: i can't believe you didn't go there
1: that maybe someone will come to me lane. as we do it so that's in your lane yeah right well we are planning some specific episodes on True. on birds of prey black widow so right. we'll, we'll come back to that before we get into all of the stuff we have to talk about We did want to put a trigger warning here because there's going to be discussion around sexual assault, violence, brief mentions of mental health and suicide, these revenge things get pretty dark. Yes, obviously. Yeah, and it's actually something I didn't have too much knowledge around when it comes to entertainment, this idea of women in revenge. As I've said before, most revenge media makes me uncomfortable and nervous, which is funny because I've actually written a lot of things about revenge in my own life. So I, I think I think there's something about the fantastical element of superhero-type revenge that I can click out and it seems like fantasy. But right. when I'm watching, like, Revenge, even though it's heightened usually, there's something about it that just puts me on edge, which I think is the point. Yeah, exactly. That is the point. It makes you uncomfortable. And right. It kind of makes you look over your shoulders at all times. Right, and I a good revenge movie makes you question the the main character and whether or not they're justified in what they're doing i mean
2: this is definitely one of those anti-hero
1: right ideas right and i did want to say in here (laughs) i have a friend who is excellent at revenge uh she she i hope i never (laughs) end up on her bad side the anchovies in the car the ants in the car basically your car is not a safe place if you made her mad you know that's kind of a a trope
2: as well That the girlfriend, the mean, uh, quote-unquote, crazy girlfriend, they always go after the car. Right. It does seem to be that type of feel. I have definitely met women that I'm like, yeah, you scare me because you have, not only do you think of it, and I think a lot of people think bad thoughts, but you actually start planning it. And when you start planning it, you
1: know Mm -hmm. (laughs) you better watch out. Right. And so this isn't something I'm very familiar with, but you are, right, Samantha? Yes. I do
2: really, really love female revenge movies. Unfortunately, with some of the Me Too stuff, it's, it's kind of taken out of my rotation. Yeah. A lot of the ones mm-hmm. that I really do love and I'm very sad about that. Right. I also find it really interesting because one of the things, um, and I don't think we mention it in here when we talk about Mad Max. Right. And one of the big problems people had was Cheryl Theron playing of such a pivotal character, which in my mind, I'm like, she still needed a saving in the end, so I don't understand why people are upset, people being men and men's (laughs) activists. Mm -hmm. Let's put it that way. But it is a kind of a, a revenge justice type of mentality as well. Yeah. So it's kind of like, okay, who are we looking at? Who are we rooting for? How are we rooting for it? And how do we come to like the just desserts, you know? Right. I want to see all that. I do. I love that because I don't always like really dark, dark, Things, mm-hmm. But when it has a satisfying ending or a satisfying mm-hmm. moment, yeah. it
1: makes everything okay to me. Yeah, it's
2: cathartic.
1: Yes, yes. Yes. I <laughs> made a very foolish mistake in preparation for this, and I've watched <laughs> probably 15 of these in like four days,
2: so I I'm in like an interesting say,
1: place. I did not recommend that. <laughs> no, nobody in there thinking about themselves and their health care wouldn't have done that. I kept telling myself, why? No right. one's making you do this. Right. Why? I was,
2: yeah, yeah <sighs> I was surprised. And I will say, one of the reasons, and you, you'll hear in the letter, later episode, we picked First Wives Club. Yes. Because um, I wanted, we were talking about doing a revenge type of uh, themed movie, yeah. but I wanted to make sure it wasn't over the top gory, yes, and over the top dark. And right. this is kind of one of the beginnings of the revenge justice type of thought process in mm-hmm. movies. And it's not beginning—that's not true. But you know, it was one of the iconic ones.
1: Yeah. But yeah, and then finding out you watch all those. Oh. Like, oh, why? <laughs> oh. And but I, the reason I wanted to say that is because what you said earlier—the Me Too thing—watching them. You're going to recognize when we get to our part two episode, several names, like the Weinstein's come up a lot, Right, and it's fascinating because right. it makes you wonder the people working on it. And I know I've read some mm-hmm. some reviews, there's all this female revenge. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Makes you wonder. Makes you
2: wonder. And it seems like uh, female revenge and anger is something that are on a lot of people's mind. Um, He'll have no fury like a woman scorned. That yeah. is a great, great line in anything, a quote derived from William Congreve's 16th century English play, The Morning Bride, Mm M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, and these episodes were in part inspired by the upcoming Carrie Mulligan revenge flick, Promising Young Woman, directed by Emerald Fennell, and I was really, really, like, I started watching it, and I was like, oh, damn, okay, okay, that's taking out the nice guy trope real hard, Yeah. Um, and I, I really enjoyed, it's gonna be an intense Intense scene because um, within the previews, you can already see the nice guy bits. Mm-hmm. You have very unassuming, good looking guys you would never expect. A, B. Right. Um, you have the friend who um, didn't support her, didn't believe her. And then you have the, uh, like, teacher figures yeah. that also don't believe her and just kind of tell her it's going to make it worse for you. Mm-hmm. And then she just left, and everybody's like, why did you
1: leave?
2: Yeah. Um,
1: and it definitely had a hard candy vibe to it, too, which I appreciate. Yeah. And we're going to be talking about that mm-hmm. that film. And another movie that kind of reminds me of that that I, I just watched, MFA. But, okay, let's do our our definition bit. The dictionary definition of revenge is, quote, the action of inflicting hurt or harm on someone for an injury or wrong suffered at their hands. It is defined as both an act and a desire. Some psychologists refer to it as narcissistic acts of self-repair. The definition of justice, which is a term that gets thrown around a lot in conversations around revenge, is just behavior or treatment, and the line between the two of them can be murky. Punishment pops up a bit, too, which is a penalty inflicted for wrongdoing. But when I was trying to think of the differences between these things, and I do think there can be overlap, I think the main thing with revenge is there's a personal, emotional aspect. And that it's not so much about justice, necessarily. It might be, but it's more like, I want to hurt this person who directly hurt me. Right. It might You might take actions that... Don't worry. A lot of the movies we're going to talk about, uh, they kind of go a bit further than perhaps. Always. Yes. And, yeah, we are, as a society, pretty torn on ideas of revenge. There's an eye for an eye versus the other cheek, which are both from the Bible. Um, A paper digging into revenge and all of this found that when participants believed a revenge action was sanctioned by God, they were more likely to support revenge and seek it themselves. Mm -hmm. Revenge is a basic human drive. The same part of your brain that lights up when you're in love, that sends reward signals, lights up when you think about revenge. The prefrontal cortex shows activity two, which is this is the same area associated with planning how to achieve a goal. That's really intriguing. Wow. Evolutionarily, it may have been a way to keep burgeoning societies functioning. Those that do wrong, that threaten stability, get punished, a tool to prevent future wrongs. And we did touch on some of the science behind revenge in our forgiveness episode, but there's some more we wanted to touch on because it is really fascinating. A 2017 study out of the University of Kentucky looked into revenge, tasking participants with writing an essay and then swapping essays for feedback with other participants. And one of the participants was an undercover researcher who left epically critical feedback Then the participants were allowed to express how angry the feedback they had gotten made them with a voodoo doll and needles. The participants who had received the negative feedback reported feeling better after engaging in some revenge, basically sticking the doll with needles. A follow-up study looked into whether people would go out of their way for revenge, and they found that to not be true. People sought it out if they believed it would make them feel better, but participants led to believe it wouldn't, and this, they did this through a, a placebo that they called a mood-stabilizing pill, basically no matter what you do, your, your mood's going to stay the same, did not pursue revenge against teammates that had let them down. This corroborates the popular psychological understanding of revenge, that its primary goal is catharsis, followed closely by deterrence and restoration of self-esteem.
2: So a similar study found that when given the opportunity to get revenge against the player who wronged them, participants universally took it, but also universally reported feeling worse after that case compared to those who weren't wronged and therefore did not seek revenge. Those who had been wronged and were not given the opportunity to get revenge reported, they believed they would feel better if they had pursued revenge, even though they were in the happier group. Well, again, the grass is greener idea. Mm-hmm. Yet another study found that acts of revenge are only better than not getting revenge in cases where the revenge is acknowledged
1: and the balance is restored. Right. So if it goes unacknowledged, then you don't get the same right. like benefit from it. And as we talked about in our forgiveness episode, most science indicates that revenge is satisfying in the short term but associated with more negative outcomes in the long term. Instead of providing closure, it keeps a wound fresh. Mm -hmm. Yet another study found that when asked about a time they got revenge and a time when they were the target of revenge... Almost everyone, I love this, almost everyone deemed their act of revenge as just and appropriate and the act of revenge against them as excessive. Uh, Of course, of course. (laughs) How dare you? Exactly. (laughs) Oh, humanity. (laughs) We actually have a lot more science and history about revenge to get into, but first we have a quick break for a word from our sponsor.
0: So visit Snagajob.com or text SNAG to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire.
2: The state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights.
1: Whether that's live music at a historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laughing as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect.
2: Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee
1: sounds perfect. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. So one thing I was curious about is the question of why do we like revenge stories? Well, obviously, revenge stories
2: are Satisfying, Like I just said, they're cathartic. In a world where bad things happen to a good people without rhyme or reason, a reality beset with senseless violence, it's comforting to think that those who have wronged us will face the consequence. And then some, uh-huh. I hope. Most of our revenge media functions like a fantasy where everything is exaggerated.
1: Yeah. Which is kind of nice. It reminds me of what we talked about in um, Why Do People Victim Blame, where yeah. we're always trying to find a reason... For or to find balance, right? To make things just when it there's does. no sense.
2: Yeah, I think that's the true Libra in me. I need it to be restored. Oh, that's I need what to it balance is. Balance it out, y'all.
1: <laughs> oh, okay. All <laughs> falling into place. From Dr. Edward Hallowell, psychiatrist and author quote, The pursuit of revenge is a turn on, mm. it's an adrenaline rush. You can really get into it. And once you have experienced it, you want to do it again and again, and it becomes a way of life. He argues that if you wanted, you could frame our entire history in terms of revenge. I think that's what wars are, essentially. When you look at
2: the bottom line. A lot of money. And money. money. Oh, yeah. And of course money. Mm Mm-hmm. In a 2008 study out of Australia conducted by Dr. Ian McKee, he found a link that suggested that those most interested in revenge were people more motivated by power, specifically right-wing authoritarians and some sort of social dominance and all the attributes
1: that go with it. Other studies have shown that events that inspire revenge differ by culture, and others that revenge is viewed differently among communities without access to legal means of justice. Mm. Mm -hmm. There are entire websites dedicated to helping you get revenge. Think the Exploding Glitter Boxes or Get Your Revenge on Your Ex run by a man whose wife cheated on him. According to him, most of his clients are female. Hmm. Yeah,
2: I don't want to look it up.
1: <laughs> no, I
2: don't want to look nope. it up. <laughs> a recent study found that men enjoy revenge more than women. When shown instances of wrongdoers getting punished, male participants were more likely to feel pleasure, while female participants were more likely to feel. Empathy. Another study looking into gender differences found that men were far likelier than women to engage in revenge fantasies and that even children fantasize about getting revenge. Wow. I've seen this. Oh god. As a nanny and as a person who works <laughs> in the field, I've seen this. Okay. You sometimes are really crafty too. Just wants to know that. I believe it. The women reported that they believed revenge was ultimately pointless, and a lot of the women who did express revenge fantasies were more likely to turn the revenge inwards. Imagining about harming themselves to punish those that harmed them.
1: There is a certain level of breaking gender norms in female revenge entertainment. Traditionally, aggression and violence are associated with men. Anger, the emotion most closely associated with revenge, is traditionally viewed as a more masculine, sanctioned emotion. Historically, women have used words as weapons, whereas men are more violent, like using swords or guns or whatever, what have you. And also, I read a lot of things that um, viewed this as kind of a a dismissal of feminine expressions of grief and viewing them as weak. Mm -hmm. And kind of going off of that, we did look at some history, some famous examples of women getting revenge. But before we get into that, we have one more quick break for a word from our sponsor.
2: The state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights.
1: Whether that's live music at a historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laughing as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. This episode is brought to you by Pedigree. True love is always being excited from the first moment you see one another and every time after that. taking long walks together in the summer, gazing longingly into each other's eyes and, well, watching their tail wag when they chase a squirrel in the yard. The
2: Pedigree brand asked about believing in love at first sight. And honestly, the answer is yes. And I know you listeners know my love, Peaches Gertrude McFuzzin, whom I've talked about so much. And she really was love at first sight. But I will tell you that it took a long time for me to find her. I actually was looking for a good two years before I stumbled upon her picture from my local shelter and knew the moment I saw her, that she was the one. And the minute I tell you when I saw that picture and I went to meet her at the shelter and I sat with her for a good 20 minutes, y'all, you know, I couldn't leave her. I knew she had to be mine. I knew we belonged
1: together. Peaches and I are friends as well. We are. Uh, we have a good relationship together. So. You can find love at first sight with the Pedigree Adoption Drive June 7th to 9th and the Pedigree brand will reimburse your dog adoption fees nationwide visit pedigree.com/adoption-drive to learn more about the adoption drive and to see full terms and conditions. And we're back. Thank you sponsor. And we're back with some history. Yeah, so
2: let's get into that. Throughout our history, Western culture has largely depicted vengeance as a more masculine avenue. A lot of the monsters from our Female Monsters episode tell stories of enraged, insatiable vengeance like the Furies. Less about revenge, though, which has more personal element, but there are similar themes. And there are plenty of famous historical examples.
1: We have real-life examples like Lorena Bobbich, mm-hmm. uh, but also going back further... There is the example of Kiyomara, a Galatian noblewoman. During the Galatian War with Rome around 189 BCE, she was taken captive. The person in charge of the prisoners, including Kiomara, made several sexual advances towards her, all of which she rejected. So he raped her, but then felt such guilt about it, kindly <laughs> ransomed her to her people. The countrymen that came for the exchange with a nod from Kiamara, or perhaps speaking in their native language, depending on the source, uh, that, you know what, you should cut off this guy's head. The countrymen did that. She took the head, carried it back with her in her dress, threw it at her husband's feet when she arrived home. Her husband said, a noble thing, dear wife, is fidelity. And she responded, yes, but it is a nobler thing that only one man be alive who has been intimate with me.
2: So, Artemisia Gentileschi was a painter in the 1600s who was raped when she was 18. And instead of punishing the rapist, the court, of course, tortured Artemisia, which we've seen even today, tying ropes around her fingers and pulling them tight. As she was tortured, she shouted at her rapist who watched in the courtroom, "'This is the ring you gave me, and these are your promises,' and she repeated, unwavering about her testimony. "'It is true.' The entire transcript of the trial survived, and she went about getting her revenge through her art, painting the disturbing and effective Judith and Holofernes, in which Judith, along with another woman,
1: hold down Holofernes, slitting his throat. It is a very effective painting. It is. Good one. In 60 CE, in present-day Southeast England, Boudica was born. She went on to marry Celtic King Prasutagus at the age of 18. When Prasutagus died in 43 CE without a male heir, his kingdom, land, and property were annexed by the Romans. They then publicly flogged Boudica and raped her two daughters. Records show that she declared nothing is safe from Roman pride and arrogance. They will deface the sacred and will deflower our virgins. When the battle or perish, that is what I, a woman, will do. A trained warrior, she helped form a rebel army of tribes that went on to destroy the Roman capital of Britain and killed all those that lived there. The rebel army did the same thing with two other cities, including London. Records from the time suggest that Boudicca's rebellion killed 70,000 Romans and pro-Roman Britons before she was defeated. All right, then. Yeah. Yeah. And perhaps inspired by some of these true stories, perhaps not, we have plenty of fictional examples as well going way back. Right. In Euripides' Greek play Medea, this
2: character sometimes called the Queen of Revenge once said, A woman's weak and timid in most matters. The noise of war, the look of steel make her a coward, but touch her right in marriage and there's no bloodier spirit. Medea's ex-husband, Jason, ditched her for another woman for her superficial reasons after Medea helped him climb the social ladder. The whole play is about her journey to secure her revenge, not caring who ends up in the crossfire, including her own children taking away what he left for her, a future in royalty. And when she gets it, she rides off in a dragon-drawn carriage. You meant to give me an abandoned old age, I give one now to you. This example is particularly unsettling because Medea flouts her gender norm, both of women being too kind to seek revenge, but also that women are unfailingly protective maternal of their children. A twist because we, the audience, expect the act of vengeance to take Jason's life.
1: This whole thing of revenge seemed to be a theme in Euripides' work. Around the mid 1420s BCE, Euripides also published Hecuba. Hecuba was the queen of Troy and witnessed and experienced many, many wrongs, including the deaths of her husband and sons. She was enslaved by those who killed her family. Her daughter is sacrificed and another is taken as a concubine to be killed. Hecuba, along with other female captives of the Trojan army, lure the king of Thrace, Polymester, and his two sons into the women's tent in a post-war encampment and proceed to blind the king with pins from their dresses and kill his two young sons. Polymester prophesized that Hecuba would become, quote, a dog with fiery eyes. Many scholars interpret this as a symbol of the fiercely maternal, and this is an early example, the key element in revenge stories about women. Their suffering must be detailed and painful enough so that we are sympathetic and we back them stepping outside of traditional gender norms by getting revenge instead of punishing them for transgressing these boundaries. And Janet Clare delved into the dichotomy of this character as the all-suffering grieving mother and furious woman set on revenge. She describes, quote, a culture that condemned revenge and saw it as a last resort to which only a male should have recourse and that to stage a Hecuba as she was staged in classical tragedy would be to stage a rebellion.
2: So when it comes to our modern-day entertainment, revenge is a genre dominated by men both in leading roles and when it comes to directors. So when we think of revenge movies with male protagonists, the wronged at the heart of the revenge is usually quite different and often involves the fridging, killing off of the main love interest early in the plot. Sidelining her to an object that functions solely to start the main male character's vengeful journey. Not only does she die, she's often raped and tortured prior to death, defiling the man's property, quote-unquote. We, as the audience, typically root for the man to get his vengeance, cheering on his typically violent retribution. Yeah. I mean, how many times have we seen this? in every James Bond, at least one person, love that love interest that you know for like 30 seconds. Yeah. Half <laughs> naked on the bed, dies immediately. Right. And then, of course, yeah, John Wick mm-hmm. is famous for the dog and, kill. <laughs> to be fair, yeah. I get that. Um, Killing off the dog and the wife. And then there's you see so many, so many of those that begin as, I think, every John Statham movie outside of. (laughs) So sad, but so true. That's exactly how you see it. You're like, oh, Death Race, I watched that. And that's the (laughs) beginning plot. And you're like, what is happening? (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Also... uh, I guess Mission Impossible, I love how like every Mission Impossible movie starts with this, and then at the end, he's with someone. Right. But then she dies at the, the beginning next of the next movie. And it's just a change. It just carries over every <laughs> it time. never stop. You will never be happy. That's never. the message. That is the message. It revenge is. will make you happy. Anyway, mm-hmm. uh, revenge stories with women at the helm, on the other hand, usually are more gendered fears and anxieties, like sexual assault, domestic violence, cheating, motherhood, while we frequently cheer for these anti-heroines, audiences are more likely to turn on her than on a male protagonist, viewing her as hysterical or deranged. Some movies even manage to flip somehow so that the audience sides with the male antagonist or that the woman, quote, deserved what she got. Right. Yes. I When I was thinking about this, I think men don't like imagining a world where women can exact revenge for the wrongs done to them.
2: Well, I mean, there's so many things about being ladylike. And being kind and motherly and nurturing, but that's not acceptable while mm-hmm. while the father is the protector. So, right. of course, it, it crosses the line to be protecting, especially if, even if you're
1: protecting yourself, mm-hmm. that that's crossing the gender norms boundary for right. sure. And we have a lot of examples about that in our, our upcoming part two of this. Um, and one one of the ones we're going to talk about uh, that really gripped our collective cultural psyches was the 1978 film, I Spit on Your Grave. Boy, that's intense. I can't, you watched that, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, no. That's, a, that's <laughs> an intense one. It is. Uh, yes, it very much is. And this was done by Mir Zarkai. This movie follows an aspiring writer who is gang-draped and her relentless, vengeful pursuit to take them all out after that as you might imagine, this stirred up a lot of controversy. Robert Ebert famously despised it, calling it, quote, one of the most depressing experiences of my life and describing the film as a vile bag of garbage. And we're going to do a terrible thing here. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and leave it at a cliffhanger. <laughs> like some revenge movies do. Take that. Yeah. Yeah, take that, listeners.
2: Thank you for listening. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> Just save it. Skip this one to, you know, you can do streaming things.
1: Yeah, do yeah, binge it. Um Yes, we have a part two forthcoming where we're gonna look at our more modern female revenge genre and specific examples. And we're also focusing in for feminist movie Friday. On First Wives Club. So keep your ears out for that. In the meantime, if you have a favorite revenge movie or any kind of revenge media, you can email it to us. Our email is stuffmediamomstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can also find us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast or on Instagram at Stuff I'll Never Told You. Thanks as always to our super producer, Andrew Howard. Thanks. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff I Never Told is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
2: The state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights.
1: Whether that's live music at a historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laughing as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at
2: tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring